subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, Sir Lady Java. Three words I never thought I would put together. She's an African-American transgender activist from the 60s and 70s. She was born in New Orleans and grew up idolizing Lena Horne and Mae West. She transitioned at a young age with the support of her mother and went into fashion design. She moved to Los Angeles in the mid-1960s and began working as a waitress at the Red Fox Club, owned by the legendary stand-up comedian. She caught the eye of columnist Gertrude Gibson and soon performed on the nightclub circuit, befriending Little Richard, Sammy Davis Jr., Flip Wilson, Richard Pryor, and Don Rickles. Her performances gained much notoriety and soon became the target of the LAPD. At the time, there were demonstrations at the Black Hat Tavern protesting police brutality against the LGBTQA community. Then, in 1967, an ordinance was passed in Los Angeles, dubbed Rule No. 9, which prohibited performers from dressing as the opposite sex without a special permit. It effectively outlawed cross-dressing and drag. The Red Fox Club applied for a permit, but was refused by the Board of Police Commissioners, and threatened to revoke its license if they allowed the performances to continue. Sir Lady Java teamed up with the ACLU to challenge the ruling in court. While the case was dismissed, two years later, the California Supreme Court overruled Rule No. 9. Sir Lady Java continued to perform, but became a leader in the advocacy of tolerance, acceptance, and equality for trans people. While it's an inspiring story, it's also unsettling to know that over 50 years later, we have certain politicians trying to roll back the rights of the LGBTQA community with the same tactics from the 1960s. And let's throw out a couple of misnomers here. The LGBTQA community is not shoving their lifestyle down people's throats. In fact, it's been quite the opposite. How many movies have children watched where the heterosexual couple has their happy ending? Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Tangled. But Lightyear has a supporting character with a lesbian partner, and we're all going to hell in a handbasket. A straight couple can walk down the street, be affectionate with each other, and no one bats an eye. But if you see two men kissing, or two women holding hands... There are people out there that will be openly disgusted or have to comment about it. They're displaying their love the way that heterosexual couples do every single day, without harassment. So when politicians pass bills that are written so vaguely that you can't even say my partner in a conversation the way a straight male teacher can say my wife, that is the very essence of prejudice and discrimination. Now for those who want to call me woke... I saw this video that I should have saved, and I apologize for not giving credit, but the word woke 
was used by African-American parents as a warning to their children to be aware when they left the house. Keep your eyes open for people who want to beat you up, arrest you, lynch you. Woke is the state of being alert to injustice, prejudice, and discrimination. So all those certain politicians who are rallying against it, they're either unaware, which, let's face it, is entirely possible, or aware and they don't care. I'll let you decide. But the bottom line, lucky charms, they're coming after you next. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it, two stars watch at your own risk, three stars standard fare, four stars worth checking out, and five stars must see. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing Transamerica from 2005. It was directed by Duncan Tucker, who helmed the short subject, The Mountain King, in 2000. He published the novel Many Fish. He also wrote the screenplay. It stars Felicity Huffman as Sabrina Claire Osborne. She was born in New York and raised in Colorado with six sisters and a brother. She attended New York University and Circle in the Square Theater. She made her Broadway debut in 1988 in the play Speed the Plow. Her feature film debut is another David Mamet work, Things Change. She had small parts in Reversal of Fortune, Hackers, and Magnolia, but it would be her role in Sports Night that brought critical acclaim, including a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Television Series, Musical, or Comedy. A couple years later, she would be cast as Lynette Scavo in Desperate Housewives, alongside Terry Hatcher, Marsha Cross, Ava Longoria, and Nicolette Sheridan. She would win two Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series. After it wrapped in 2012, she would appear on television screens three years later in the anthology American Crime, where she was nominated for an additional three Primetime Emmy Awards. Since the college admissions scandal, her career has slowed, but she was in an episode of The Good Doctor this year and will appear in its spin-off, The Good Lawyer. She's attached to a minor league baseball drama that's currently in pre-production. Kevin Zegers portrays Bree's son, Toby Wilkins. He started as a child actor, appearing in commercials when he was six. A year later, he got his first role in the movie Life with Mikey, as the younger version of Michael J. Fox. But he is best well known for starring in the Air Bud franchise and being on the cover of Teen Beat magazine. He's consistently worked, bouncing between parts on television and in movies. His most recent acting gig was in The Rookie Feds with Niecy Nash and Britt Robertson. This is something to look out for. The scene where Felicity Huffman pokes Kevin Zeggers in the car was improvised, encouraged by the director. So let's jump into it. Transamerica begins with Sabrina Bree Osborne, a trans woman, being interviewed by Dr. Spikowski, who evaluates her mental state for vaginoplasty. He doesn't believe that she's being honest with him, and warns that the American Psychiatric Association categorizes gender dysphoria as a serious mental disorder. She counters that after her operation, a gynecologist wouldn't be able to detect anything out of the ordinary with her body. For the past three years, she's been taking hormones, electrolysis, facial feminization surgery, brow lift, forehead reduction, and tracheal shave. Brie maintains two jobs, a restaurant worker, and telemarketer for National Home Shopping Club. 
After an unsuccessful pitch, she receives a call from a juvenile inmate of the New York prison system, looking for Stanley Shupak, her dead name, who informs her that Stanley has a 17-year-old son. The next day, she receives sign-off from Dr. Spakowski for sexual reassignment surgery. She visits her psychiatrist, Margaret, performed by Elizabeth Pena, for the final signature. But when Bree tells her of the brief phone call about her son, Margaret refuses to give her blessing until she confronts this part of her former life. Under the guise of a Christian missionary, Bree travels to New York and bails out her son, Toby Wilkins, who was arrested for shoplifting a frog, being in possession of a white powder, and prostitution. She finds out that he's from Calicoon, Kentucky. When he expresses a desire to hitchhike out to California for a career in movies, pornographic movies, she invites him to travel with her back to Los Angeles. Her initial plan is to swing by Calicoon and drop Toby off at his stepfather's, in hopes to repair their relationship. But will she reveal the truth about their relationship? Here's a quote without context. My body may be a work in progress, but there's nothing wrong with my soul. Transamerica is a poignant film, and unfortunately, as timely as ever, almost 20 years later. It starts out with a woman who is in the final stages of transitioning, then having a bombshell dropped with the revelation of her son. Then it becomes a road trip movie, where these two people who previously didn't know each other start to bond. We watch their relationship evolve. Initially, it's cold. Then Brie becomes more parental. Just when their relationship gets to a good place, the film interjects Brie's parents, played by Burt Young and Fionola Flanagan, who are not accepting especially the mother, who is ashamed and embarrassed. But Toby inadvertently, unknowingly, helps bridge the chasm. Slightly. It shows how a supportive relationship is a healthy relationship, and how destructive it can be when a parent doesn't support their child. And you see Bree trying to break that cycle, but doesn't necessarily have the tools or experience to do that just yet. And that brings it to the second theme of finding your identity, not only as a trans person, but also as a young man who's lost his mom and has an abusive stepfather. And the filmmakers did that well. I really enjoyed this film. The pacing was good. It did get a little slow with the parents, and you weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. But it was beautifully shot, especially in the camping scene. It had a lot of natural landscapes, if that's a word. I did feel the psychiatrist was a bit cruel. Bree had been waiting years to transition, going through therapy sessions and multiple operations, and finally, when she's been given the green light to become the complete person she wants to, Margaret kind of quid pro quos her with the signature. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with the assessment that Bree needed to come to terms with the fact that she now has a son, but the method of saying, yeah, I'm not going to give you my signature unless you do this, felt it was outside of the psychiatry playbook. Now for a little trivial trivia. The production schedule had to be moved up for Felicity Huffman when she secured the role of Lynette Scavo on a little show called Desperate Housewives. The cinematography was captured by Stephen Kazmierski, whose filmography includes Justin Bieber, Never Say Never, and the series Nova, Mysteries at the Museum, and VH1 Storytellers. It was edited by Pam Wise, who worked on The Meteor Man, Dark Matter, Undefeated, and Bella. The score was composed by David Mansfield, who wrote the music for Heaven's Gate, Desperate Hours, Truman, and was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Musical Composition for a Miniseries, Movies, or Special for Broken Trail. The soundtrack featured songs by Duncan Sheik, Old Crow Medicine Show, Lucinda Williams, and Larry Sparks. 
It included Traveling Through by Dolly Parton, which was nominated for Best Achievement in Music, Written for Motion Pictures, Original Song. The runtime is 1 hour 43 minutes. It had a budget of $1 million and grossed $15 million at the box office. It was nominated for two Oscars at the 2006 Academy Awards for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role and Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures Original Song. Felicity Huffman would go on to win the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. In her acceptance speech, she said, quote, I know as actors, our job is usually to shed our skins, but as people, our job is to become who we really are. And so, I would like to salute the men and women who brave ostracism, alienation, and life lived on the margins to become who they really are. End quote. On the ski index, I give it four and a half out of five stars. If you've seen Transamerica and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Paul Lind was a talented actor and comedian whose camp personality delighted audiences in movies, on television, and at the theater. He graduated from Northwestern University with a degree in speech and drama, where he was classmates with Cloris Leachman and Charlotte Ray. He moved to New York City and started doing stand-up comedy at Number 1 Fifth Avenue. He made his Broadway debut in New Faces of 1952 alongside Eartha Kitt. Paul Lind originated the role of Harry McAfee, the ill-tempered father of Kim, in the musical Bye Bye Birdie. He would star in the film adaptation with Dick Van Dyke, Janet Leigh, Bobby Rydell, and Anne Margaret in 1963. After a one-off appearance on the series Bewitched, he was brought back in a recurring role as Uncle Arthur in ten episodes. He made the rounds on the television circuit, guesting on The Munsters, The Beverly Hillbillies, I Dream of Jeannie, The Flying Nun, The Carol Burnett Show, and Rowan and Martin's Laughing. But he's best known for his quips and double entendres on Hollywood Squares. For the uninitiated, Hollywood Squares was a game show where contestants played tic-tac-toe by selecting a celebrity in a square to answer a question, which the contestant could agree or disagree with the response. Paul made a few appearances since the show's debut in 1966, but didn't become a regular until two years later, when he was moved to the center square to ensure the contestants would call upon him. It was his quick wit and one-liners that proved popular with audiences. After over 700 episodes, Paul called it quits in 1979, returning briefly the next year until the show was canceled in 1981. He was a regular in Summerstock Theater and also provided voiceover work for Hanna-Barbera. He died of a heart attack in 1982, but his legacy lives on through his work. I've selected a clip from Hollywood Squares called The Best of Paul Lind. Now, of course, a word of caution. Even though many people in the entertainment industry knew that Paul Lind was gay, and even some members of the audience and the people at home, it was never overtly said, so a lot of the questions that were asked to him had some innuendos that people might find passe these days. It's available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. 
Today I'm talking about Giant Little Ones from 2018. Written and directed by Keith Berman, it tells the story of Frankie Winter and Ballas Cole, two best friends and swim teammates, who drunkenly hook up at a party. Then Ballas and his girlfriend spread a rumor that it was Frankie who initiated the unwanted acts, outing him and ruining their friendship, but ultimately changing both of their lives. It stars Josh Wiggins and Darren Mann in the leading roles, with the supporting cast including Taylor Hickson, Maria Bello, and Kyle MacLachlan. I saw this during one of my independent movies phase, and chose to watch it because of Josh Wiggins. I saw him in a movie a few years back called Hellion, and he just always comes off so natural in roles. It was his first feature, he was really impressive in it, and I kind of marked him down as one to watch. Now, I do have to say full disclosure, we are best friends. I'll tell you how we met. It was on social media. You see, he's a Dallas Cowboys fan, and I'm a New York football Giants fan. They're division rivals. So during the season, he usually live tweets during Cowboy games, and once when both teams were playing each other, he had tweeted out, Death, taxes, and Cowboys collapse in the first half. And I responded back, don't worry, the Giants have a way of shooting themselves in the foot, and sometimes in the thigh. Not only did he like my tweet, but he responded back with my exact reference. Okay, that is one hell of a dig at Plaxico Burris. So this means we're best friends, right? I do hope in the future that I get to work with him. I can't say enough about his natural abilities. And this movie in particular, I think it truly captured the confusion that people do feel when coming to terms with their sexuality. It's not cut and dry, or something that needs to be resolved in 90 minutes. The filmmakers leave things open, and I think it was a perfect choice. So I highly recommend. It should be required viewing, especially during Pride Month. It really captures that emotional turmoil and empathetic to people's struggle. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. He made his Broadway debut in New Faces of 1952. 52. Uh, she's attached to a minor league baseball tr- um, contract. Yeah. <laughs> she's switched careers.